Please turn in your Bibles with me to page one. So we're in Genesis this morning. Over in the next few weeks, we are beginning a series on marriage, prompted by our study of Ephesians, and where we've left off in Ephesians 5. Uh, Pastor Wilton, when he returns next week, will pick up there with some of the specifics about the marriage relationship. But this morning, we're going to back it up a little bit and look at, kind of zoom out and look at the big picture of marriage, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And so this morning, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, then flip over to the next page, and there will be Genesis 2, 18 through 25. This is God's word to us this morning. Genesis 1, beginning of verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. And then Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, we come this morning needing to hear a word from you, needing to hear of your love for us and how we are to respond in loving you and loving one another. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would impress upon us what we hear from your word today, that we would grow in your grace and that we would grow in our love for you and one another. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we move from Asheville, my son William was given a wonderful gift. It was given by a student from our church who had gotten of the age where he was ready to let go of his Legos. And so he gave William his, basically his entire Lego collection. And it's a great gift. And it continues to be a great gift. There's a bunch of different sets of Legos in this, in this uh, collection that he has given. 
However, there's one, there was one slight issue. When we received the Legos, they were given to us all disassembled in a giant black garbage bag. A giant black garbage bag. We did receive another bag that contained all the instructions for the various Lego sets. And so for the past several months, and for the months to come, for the years to come, we have started the work of putting back together all of these wonderful Lego sets. If any of you ever want to come over sometime, we have something for you to do. And in doing so, as we do this, we are having to go back to the instructions, to the beginning, to rebuild these things brick by brick. But when you have a garbage bag full of them in no particular order, the work is a long and tedious process. And in some ways, as a society, I think, and also we can struggle with this as the church, it seems as if the institution of marriage, at least how it's viewed in society, has become a large bag of Legos, and it's in complete disarray. And we are taking bricks and trying to put things back together in whatever way we see fit, without consulting the instructions. We've taken what's a wonderful gift, and we've kind of disassembled it. And now we've maybe seen some of the problems that come with that disassembling. And we're beginning to try to put it back together in various ways. There are those in our culture who want to change the definition of marriage. There are those who want to dismiss marriage altogether. There are those who live together, who live as if they are married, without being married. There are those who are married who want to live as if they are not. And there are even those who want to live and marry more than one person at the same time. There's a lot of statistics that could be read about divorce rates, abandonment, adultery, and all these things that would demonstrate the brokenness that we see in marriage today. But even without the data, we know from experience, don't we? We've seen it all around us in our families, in our friendships. And often we feel and we see that as a society, we've been given something that is good, yet it's kind of been disassembled and broken into a million pieces. And we're scrambling to put it back together brick by brick. So where do we go as the church? What does it look like for the church to approach marriage in a way that is different and distinct than the way the rest of the world does? How can our marriages begin to not only be put together in a stable and secure way, but also point people to the one who designed marriage in the first place, to point people to God himself? And how can we, as the church, be a part of restoring and redeeming marriage for the glory of God? Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about marriage in the book of Ephesians. But today, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going back to page one. We're getting the original instructions out. And we're looking at the foundation of all relationships, including the marriage relationship. And that begins with understanding who God is and the relationships that he has established. There are three primary relationships as we look at these two passages in Genesis that we want to examine today. And the first one's kind of one maybe that doesn't didn't jump off the page right away, but it's God's relationship within himself. See, all relationships, including the marriage relationship, begin and end with God. 
The foundation for all our relationships goes back before the foundation of the world. In the beginning, there was God. Before there were the heavens or the earth or the animals or the stars or man, there was God. God has always existed. He is eternal. And as the Scriptures unfold, we see that God has existed. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we refer to as the Trinity. And in the early chapter of Genesis, we see the Trinity is already active in the creation of the world. The Spirit of God is introduced in the first verses of Genesis. Later, in chapter 3, after the fall of man, we see the promise of the Messiah, the Son of God who would come to redeem and reclaim His people. Other scriptures later in the New Testament, in Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1, we see that Jesus, the Son, He was actively involved in creating the universe. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He's preparing to go to the cross, and He asks the Father to glorify Him in His own presence with the glory He had before the world even existed. And then as we look at our passage this morning, as we're in Genesis 1, we get to verse 26. Let us make man in our image. The grammar of this sentence for all our English teachers here is that the us is plural, the our is plural, and the image is singular. And that's what going to Clemson gets you, I tell you. There's one God and three persons. The foundation for relationships, it begins with God because God is a relational being. He has always existed as a trinity, as a community within himself, and that there is mutual love in that community. 1 John 4 tells us that God himself is love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, and vice versa. And in creating us in his image, in the image of an us, God has made us also for relationship for community with Him, and for community with one another. So the first relationship that serves as a foundation for us is God's relationship within Himself. And the second one, the second relationship we see in this passage is that God also has a relationship with us. God has made us male and female in His image. As we consider this, we are acknowledging a lot of things. The first thing we're acknowledging is that God is our creator, that he has made us, he has personally created us. As the rest of the universe was made, as you look through Genesis 1, you see the phrase, let there be. Let there be light, for instance. But here the phrase is different. It's let us make. Let us make man in our image. And friends, we are a a marvel to wonder at. Augustine once said that people would travel to wonder at the heights of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. Yesterday we went to the Little River Canyon and we saw beautiful rock formations and amazing trees with leaves that are just starting to turn. Underneath the dazzling blue sky on a wonderful sunny day. Yet at the end of the day, 
there was also wonder, perhaps more so, to be beheld when we came back home and we looked in the mirror or as we looked into one another's eyes. See, we've been created. We have been made by God in His image. We're the pinnacle of God's creation, more than galaxies, more than oceans, more than the highest in mountains, the most exotic of animals. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. So what does this mean that God has made us in His image? There's a lot of things that can be said here. There's been whole books written about this. But one way to sum, sum it up is that we resemble God. That we have, just as God does, we have reason. We have a will that we can act upon. We have relationships. We know that God creates, that God speaks, that God works, that God rests. And we resemble Him by doing the same. Now, due to the fall of man, as sin has entered the world, we know that we're a broken image, that our reflection of God has been affected by the fall. Yet, by His grace, we are being restored and renewed into His image. And we express that image, Genesis tells us, as we represent God by ruling over creation and also by relating to one another. Since we've been made in the image of an us, we are made for relationships, both with God and with one another. Think for a second about the commandments, the Ten Commandments that God has given us. And how does Jesus sum those up? He sums them up in a way that's relational, right? He points to the two primary relationships. He says, we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, when we love God and we love one another, we're not only reflecting God's love for us, we're also reflecting God's love within himself, within the Trinity. In John 17, Jesus prays. And he says this in this prayer. He says to the Father, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And as we see that prayer in John 17, especially if you go back and read the whole thing, you see again the love within the Trinity. In this case, expressed between the Father and the Son. Even before the world began. And then Jesus prays that this love with which the Father loves him, would also be in his people. That the Father loves us even as he has loved the Son. When you consider what Jesus is about to do as he prays his prayer, that he is preparing to go demonstrate his great love for us, that he is preparing 
to go and to suffer and to die on the cross, it certainly raises the bar, doesn't it? For how we're to view what love truly is and how we're to love one another. God loves us with the love that He has within Himself. He loves us as He has loved Christ. And we, as we love Him and as we love one another, we reflect His love. As it says in 1 John, we love because He first loved us. And we also reflect the love that God has within Himself. So, so far we've, we've examined two relationships. We've seen that there's a relationship that God has within Himself. That there's love within the Trinity. Then there's a relationship that we have with God. That God loves us and has made us for a relationship with Him. And then the third relationship that we begin to see unfold, particularly in Genesis 2, is that there's a relationship that God has established for us to have with one another. There's the general relationship that we have together, but then there's also, specifically, the relationship of marriage. In Genesis 2, we see the specific account of the creation of man. See, God saw that it was not good that man should be alone. Everything else in God's creation, as good as it was, and it was good, there was not a suitable helper to be found for Adam. So we read that God creates Eve out of the rib of Adam. He brings her to him. And in Adam's words, as as he sees Eve for the first time, as God presents her, he, he says, finally, at last, God had created man, male and female. He had presented Adam with Eve, and here we have in the garden what amounts really to the first wedding as Adam and Eve are joined together. And God establishes marriage. He establishes the marriage relationship as the foundation for all human relationships. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus Himself affirms this in the Gospels where He says, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning, who made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Marriage is a union. It is two people brought together by God. Wayne Mack puts it this way, that marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. In our passage, we see that the phrase that the man is to hold fast to his wife. This is covenant language. It expresses commitment. It expresses loyalty. It expresses faithfulness. The marriage relationship is to reflect the faithful covenant love that God has for His people. This relationship is a picture not only of the love that Christ has for the church that we'll see more in detail in Ephesians 5 in the coming weeks, but it's a reflection of the relationship that God has within Himself. Although the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are distinct They are also one. And in marriage, we have two people, two distinct people, brought together as one. 
in Ephesians 5, we'll see specifics about how husbands are to relate to wives and how wives are to relate to husbands and what that looks like in marriage. But one of the first things that we see established here in Genesis 2 as this wedding ceremony unfolds is that there is equality with the man and with the woman. The word that is translated suitable in this passage in regards to God making a suitable helper for Adam. That word can also mean equal. There are different roles that will be given to to the man and to the woman. Yet once again, here we see a reflection of the Trinity. Within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. Yet they have different roles in our creation and our redemption. And in marriage, male and female are created equal. And they're equal in their standing before God as those who are made in His image. Yet they are given different roles as they relate to one another and exercise the dominion that God has given to them. Matthew Henry once said this, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. For us to honor marriage and to have gospel-centered marriages, it begins with us taking a step back and approaching our marriages with the bigger picture in mind. It begins as we acknowledge that God is the one who has created and established marriage, and that He has created us to reflect His love in marriage. As the Scriptures unfold, we see that reflection deepen as His love for us is demonstrated in the self-sacrificial love of Christ for His bride, for His church, that He went to the cross, that He laid down His own life so that we could live, and that we're called to mirror that self-sacrifice in the marriage relationship. If we're to pursue God's glory in these things, we must first look to Christ and His loving pursuit of us as Jesus came and saw us and redeemed us to be His bride. Rather than being concerned as our world is with preserving and promoting just our own self-image, we're called in all our relationships to bear the image of God and to reflect His love for us. But this is something that's not instantaneous. It's not something that's simple or easy. It's not something that we do on our own power. But it is by God's grace as He continues to work in us to renew us in His image. In Ephesians 4, where we were a couple weeks ago, we read this, that we're called to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's our calling, to be renewed, to be renewed in the image of God, to grow in our love for Him and and for one another as we reflect His love for us. The Scriptures begin and end with a wedding. 
In Genesis, as we looked at today, we see the, the first wedding, the marriage of Adam and Eve. In Revelation that we read earlier in the service, we see a different sort of wedding. It's a wedding between Christ and His church. And at that wedding, it tells us there's a feast. There's a supper. There's a, there's a meal. And this meal that's before us this morning, as we come to the table, this is an anticipation of that great meal that is to come. We remember and we look back at what Christ has done for us, that He laid down His life for His bride, the church, that He went to the cross and died for our sins. We remember, yet we also look ahead to that glorious day that will come where we will, as the church, will enter the heavenly sanctuary, a bride dressed in fine linen and pure white clothing because Christ has died for us to make us that way and to prepare us for that great wedding day. And then we'll take our place at that feast with Him forever. Please pray for me. Pray with me and we'll go to the Lord's table together. Father, we ask now that as we prepare to come to your table, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would remind us of your grace, that uh, the sins that we've committed this week, as we confess them to you, that they have been forgiven in full through the blood of Christ on our behalf. Lord, help us, we pray, um, in our marriages. Help us if we are in the place of preparing for marriage. Uh, Help us in our relationships uh, with family and friends and neighbors and everyone else to reflect uh, the love with which you have loved us that we would love you and love one another well, and that we would be image bearers, renewed and restored by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.